Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. Impact of Influence, the tragic story of a powerful South Carolina family and the mysterious deaths that they are linked to. Hi, friend. Welcome back. So glad you're here with us. Matt Harris and Seton Tucker as we have an interesting episode coming up, something different that we haven't done. We'll have some question and answer. We'll get into that in just a moment. If I sound a little different again, just a reminder, this hopefully will be the last episode or It'll be one of the last episodes where I'll be on Zoom and not in our producer Dwayne's Groove Love Shack, where all the magic happens. Uh, so it sounds a little different. That that is wise. I'm still down with the COVID, um, which sounds like I'm down with the COVID, but that's not what it means. I'm sick with the COVID. Seton, you uh, have to eat some words from last uh, episode. Yes, the Gamecocks have restored my faith. They beat Auburn this past weekend, and I had a great time. We hung out with Michael and Raphael, who had won an auction item where I donated some tickets at a benefit for Stephen Smith. And Suzanne, who ran that auction, came. Also want to mention, too, today I have two middle school interns here with me. So they're hopefully having fun watching us record. Wait, I can see her in the background on this Zoom seat, and I've seen her yawn multiple times. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, you know, the Gamecocks uh, have had the USC in this uh, southern part of the world, for those listening across the land, University of South Carolina. And uh, you uh, pull a decent season out of your hat after quarterback issues and all that sort of thing. Well, so eligible. Yeah, and my Ohio State Buckeyes are rolling right along. This is dropping. You can be listening to it, of course, any time in history, but it's a few days before Thanksgiving as we record. Do you have plans in the Seton Tucker house? Well, my son is home from college, so we're happy to have him home. And I've yet to make it to the grocery store, which will probably happen on Wednesday. So I'm a little already having anxiety about how bad that's going to be. You know what you're missing the boat on, man? When we're home, we do the order, the whole thing. Just go ahead of time, pick it up right at the deli section, all the stuff, everything, bring it home, bam. Yes. If I had been more organized, I would have signed up for that. But I think it's too late now. I was supposed to be uh, out of the country vacation and come back on Wednesday for Thanksgiving. But, but I think it's so much better to be on Zoom with Seton and producer Dwayne. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, Seton, our guest today, tell us all about Sarah. Yes, we had Sarah Holstein Graves on our episode 22, which we got a lot of great feedback. She is a Hampton native, and we'd had a lot of questions about the community and questions about Maggie and Paul and the family, so we thought that it would be a great time to bring her back on. We uh, got to as many questions. We had lots and tons and tons of questions, so we are picking out some of them. Might have to do another round at some point. We also have a question and answer session coming up with John Snyder. You can get those questions to us and reach out to us because we're always looking for feedback, good, bad, or indifferent. Murdoch Podcast. Of course, it's M-U-R-D-A-U-G-H. Murdoch Podcast on Facebook or MurdochPodcast.com or 
individually, Seton Tucker, Facebook, or Matt Harris podcast at gmail.com. All right, Seton, first question for Sarah. Hi, Sarah. We're so happy to have you back on. Uh, it's good to be back. All right. So we are doing an episode where we're taking questions from some of our listeners, and we had a ton of great response after you were on. So we figured we would just dive straight in. Okay. Okay. So I kind of want to start with some of the community questions. Um, All right. A lot of people have asked us how the people in Hampton have reacted to the attention brought on their community and why are so few locals speaking out? Well, the, that's a, several parts to that question. And, and the primary part is, you know, it, it's a small town. We've all known each other since kindergarten or before. And um, we do have to be respectful that when you say something about someone, whether it's true or not, you may be offending their sibling, you may be offending their aunt, you may be offending you know, their best friend. And so until we have more facts it's really hard to comment because unless you're really sure about what you're saying, you don't want to run into somebody's really angry grandmother in the grocery store that's going to read you the riot act in front of everybody. So we know that uh, Alec has obviously um, been accused of some bad things and has admitted to doing some bad things. And so it's fair game to say what you want to say there. But then are you going to talk about everyone else in the family, which is a lot of what we're seeing on social media is it is just spreading. And so it's just not going down that rabbit hole. You know, once you start talking about it, it just gets huge. Well, are people uncomfortable with the amount of attention that has been brought on the community? Very much so. I think that uh, in the beginning, People were, you know, okay, there's been some accusations and there may be something there. Let's wait and see what they find out. And then as the story became so attractive to to social media and to the media in general, um, we had people who were making road trips to Hampton to go and look at at the places that were involved and people that were, you know, making comments about those who came from that area. And the worst for me is um, people who make comments about the extended family and just assume that everybody in the family is exactly the same. And, you know, I don't think my sister would want to be held accountable for things that I do and vice versa. And, um, and so that, that part of it's been hard too. So what do you think is next for Hampton? Like how is the community going to change as a result of all this attention? Well, I think that for the most part, the firm has been so active in the community and has given back to the community so much that I don't think anybody wants to see the firm go away. But I do feel like people are going to feel more emboldened and empowered to ask more questions, to double check things, and you know, and just to follow up and, and to take 
more caution instead of, you know, we all have a tendency to trust whatever our lawyer tells us, to trust whatever our doctor tells us. And, you know, people need to know that you are always, um, you always hold the power to double check those things and to ask every question that you need to ask to feel comfortable. And so I think that that part of it is definitely going to change. I think there may be some judicial reforms that come out of this. There may be um, some political changes that come out of this. You know, I'm, I'm curious to see how far that goes. You brought up how a lot of people are worried about offending family members of the people who are actually the guilty members. However, I, I also get emails and messages from people, and I, I, I'd like you to speak to this. There has to be a contingent of people in that area who are angry, angry, very angry people about what has happened to the reputation of their town because of this, and people who are angry at Alec for it going, I don't, not everybody's walking around an egg doesn't necessarily, right? I mean, there's got to be a contingent of people that are just angry. There is definitely that, but um, unfortunately, with our emotions, it's not that often that we can be 100% of anything. So we can't be 100% angry at Alec, and we can't be, you know, that can't bleed into other family members of his. I've known them for forever, and, you know, I was never Alec's biggest fan. I, I think that his siblings are wonderful. Um, and, and so from everything that he's been accused of and the things that he's admitted to, um, I, I have been told that, you know, he does feel some relief that now carrying what he's been doing, you know, that weight is off of him. And now he's got to move on to, you know, accepting accountability for things. But that doesn't mean that his siblings have done anything wrong and it doesn't mean that his dad did anything wrong. You know, you can look at any family that you know that has three, four, five kids and the moral compass is probably not the same on every one. The accountability is probably not the same on every one. So that that's the part that, you know, that is tough. Um, as far as anger, absolutely. Um, his own family is upset with him. Um, if you if you look at the statement that that Randy made shortly after the the Labor Day weekend fiasco, he actually uses the word steal twice, and that is a very strong word for an attorney who is you know very good at choosing their words to release a public statement and use the word steal twice. So that's got to give you some indication of how, you know, annoyed, upset, disappointed, all of those things that he has to be, to use a strong word like that. Sarah, hold on a second. More questions for Sarah in a second. First word from our new friends at Founders Federal Credit Union. Would you love to lower your existing auto loan rate by 1%? Look no further than Founders Federal Credit Union. Refinance your current auto loan, and we will beat your existing rate by 1%. Plus, make no payments for 90 days. 
boats, motorcycles, and recreational vehicles are included. We're talking a lot about boats in this episode. I don't know if they got this right. Never mind. Whether it's for the car you drive daily or the boat that's reserved for the weekends, an auto loan from Founders Federal Credit Union, a smart and affordable way to pay. Founders features flexible terms, low rates, fast, friendly service, and 24-hour account access with Founders Online and the Founders app. Relax with Founders. Don't miss out. Apply today at foundersfcu.com backslash auto or at an office near you. Terms and conditions apply. Membership qualification required. Founders Federal Credit Union is federally insured by NCUA. Current auto loan must be with another financial institution. So we had one listener who asked this question on our Facebook page, and she says, I wonder how Ms. Graves feels now that so much attention has come to light about Alec Murdoch, some of the locals feel they have good reason to be afraid of Murdoch and the firm. They seem to have pushed their weight around, always knowing that there could be no repercussions. Um, I, let me say, first of all, and I want to make this painfully clear to people. I am not afraid of the Murdochs. I've never heard of any member of their family or their law firm coming after anybody. Um, I've never seen, you know, when we grew up, it was not an uncommon thing for the boys to drink a little too much on the weekends and get rambunctious and get into fistfights. I've never seen any of them even have a verbal altercation with anybody. Uh, They're not to be feared. So, let, let's get that clear right off the bat. They are a family that knows a lot of people, has a lot of connections, can get things done. Um, they're respected for the most part. Um, and um, they are very political. They're very friendly. They have that um, that salesman-like uh, approach to, to people where, you know, it's, it's a very diplomatic kind of approach. But again, when you are practicing as an attorney, you, you're selling yourself. And, you know, you're selling your ability to convince people uh, with facts and with finesse. And so you have to be that way. You live in this community and you can't have a bad day where somebody's not going to see it. But no, there is there's no fear. It's not that. And it's never been that. All right. So speaking of Alex, so the next question, which I think Matt and I can probably answer is the New York Post recently reported that Alex was out shooting before the murders. But recent reports say that he was either taking his dad to the hospital or with his mother. Which is it? So actually, it was John Marvin that took his dad to the doctor. Alec had gone to work. He came home. He spent some time with the family. And then he went to his mother's. Um, His mother had a stroke a few years ago. And then following that, she's developed Alzheimer's, and it's gotten progressively worse. Um, She has 24-hour, round-the-clock health care, so there's caretakers there at all hours of the day and night. And those caretakers were there for the time that Alec was there with his mother. And uh, my understanding is that they have provided that information to investigators so that that's verified. Yeah, so that's the ironclad alibi that they're talking about. Yes. Wow. First time we've heard the story that John Marvin was the one 
with the dad taking to the hospital. That's 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 uh, interesting. And we and I don't know where he was out shooting thing came from. The post said. I had not heard that prior. Had you seen? I had, but that was from the beginning. And I, you know, it seemed to be quickly debunked when Griffin, his attorney, went on the uh, media and said that Alec was actually at home with his mother watching a game show. So I think that that was a false report. Well, and you also got to, and this I don't know, this is just speculation for me, but you also got to think of the fact that they all had new cars, they all had cell phones, and I got to imagine that there was probably a GPS in the car, I'm sure they tracked his cell phone, um, so I, I'm sure there are more ways than just talking with the caretakers to, to verify. All right, so why hasn't the FBI been brought in to investigate the murders? So the FBI really can't come in and do that unless SLED gives them permission. And SLED does not want to, to have them come in. Um, and we've seen that with the, the charges around the Satterfield case where the U.S. attorneys have tried to get involved and, and SLED and the attorney generals have said, no, we, we've got this back out. Um, from, from my understanding, the, the family would actually welcome um, the FBI to, to come in and, you know, work with SLED, uh, do an investigation independently of SLED, whatever, but to get more eyes, more technology, more experience, get, you know, let's do everything we can to, to find the answer need on this. But SLED is, has said so far that they, they're not, they're not inviting the FBI. The FBI has to be invited by them. And SLED, we have to remind everybody, SLED is State Law Enforcement Division. And on that note, we have our legal analyst, John Snyder, now joining us via Zoom. Uh, John wanted to comment on the FBI. Uh, John, about the FBI question, what do you got? Yes. So I was very interested in the, U in the Attorney General's press releases about the 27 indictments, where it specifically mentioned in the last paragraph, that this was in coordination with federal and state law enforcement agencies. So I made the impression that perhaps the U.S. Attorney's Office was deferring to the state on this, this case. All right, that makes sense. And also, I would think that as the case moves along, there's the possibility, of course, of IRS things and other things associated with federal law breaking that's going to bring in the feds in different ways as well. Right, John? That's right. I think you've got, you still have all your bank issues, all your, your loan issues that are separate federal crimes than what he's currently indicted for under South Carolina law. Okay. Fire away a question. Uh, Seton. Okay. So next we've had a lot of questions about Maggie. People want to know more about her. And we've also asked why Maggie's family members have been so quiet, which I think kind of speaks volumes. There was a New York Post article that kind of came out and gave a little bit of background about her, that she was from the Nashville area. They moved to Pennsylvania while she was in high school for her father's job and then relocated back down south and then eventually ended up at USC, which is where she met Alec. But that's basically all I know. I don't know. Sarah, do you have anything to add to that? And let me preface this by saying that, that I did not know her um, like that, 
but I, I know plenty of people that, that do. And so the first thing is, why are her family members being so quiet? Um, well, I think that kind of goes back to the same answer that... that facts out there for us surrounding hers and Paul's deaths that it's hard to really comment because there's there's not much that's been put out there to address. The other part of that, unfortunately and sadly, is that both of her parents are in declining health and they're just not well. And losing your daughter has got to be uh, earth shattering enough, but then, you know, to lose the grandson as well and to know that that anything that you say that may be, uh, you know, picked up as, as being a negative is going to hurt your surviving grandson. So I, I think that there's really not much that they could say that would satisfy what people want to hear. And there's not a lot of facts out there to, to base a statement on just yet. So, um, so that, that's why we're probably not hearing much out of them. It's just interesting that they haven't given a story line to give a story to the name. Uh, talk about her as a, a daughter or as a mom or as an aunt or as a you know person in the community. That's surprising to me that there hasn't been any comment to give her a narrative that she probably justly deserves. Well, and they haven't come out in support of her of Alec either. So correct. I kind of find that interesting. You know, I think their silence kind of speaks volumes. The the question as to, you know, what she was like, the general understanding that I get is that she she was a very, you know, bubbly nice type of person, but she was also a fairly private person. And so most of her socializing was with her family. She was very close to her sister. Um, with Ellick's family, she was very close to um, to her sister-in-law, and um, and obviously she had you know the children. They were super super involved with the, you know the boys' sports. You know Ellick coached them. Maggie did a lot of volunteer work. They were huge USC supporters, so they you know went to all the football games, all the basketball games. The kids were always with them. They would take their parents to the games. So I think that most of the socializing that she was doing was within the family. So we've also heard, like we've reported, there's two sides. We hear that they had a loving marriage, but then we've also heard that there were, you know, problems in the marriage and that she was looking into finances and this sort of thing and that she was living in Edisto. Sarah, do you have any inside information on this? Well, the the Edisto thing, you know, to me, it, that did look like she had moved to Edisto and he didn't. But when I discussed this a little bit more with my friends, what I was told was that they had just sold the, the house that was within the town of Hampton. And they still owned Moselle and they still owned the Edisto house. They had decided at that point to do a little remodeling and a little redecorating at the house at Edisto. Um, it was summertime. The school was out for the boys. The boys were able to go to you know to Edisto with her for the summer. Um, attorneys 
in some practices have a little more relaxed hours in the summertime or maybe they can work remotely so Ellick was able to go back and forth so she was staying there because she had workers coming in and out doing work on the house and and the boys were able to be there because it was you know summertime so that it it wasn't that she moved there by herself and then he stayed here so as far as you know, there was no, like, divorce plans or anything like that? No, and, and I even went back and, and kind of looked over some of her Facebook things, as I think a, a lot of us have. And I did find it interesting to note that um, she she made a post last Father's Day, which was just, just under a, a year before she passed. And what she wrote to him was... Happy Father's Day to the best who everybody loves. Thank you for all you do for our family. You work so hard for your family, and our kids are so lucky. Dad, coach, teacher, and best friend. That just didn't, to me, sound like somebody that was preparing to pack up and leave. And that was right around the same time that she had supposedly moved to Edisto permanently. Okay, so we've had a ton of questions about Buster and... Um, I think Matt actually gave the best response, so I'm going to let him take this one. With the information we have right now, okay, that's with the information we have right now. This could change. But right now, he, I feel bad for the dude. He's innocent. He has one civil charge, giving his license to his brother to get alcohol the night of the Mallory Beach boating accident. That is the one civil case that he's involved in. Otherwise... He's lost his mother and his brother. They were shot to death. His father's turning out to be a pretty bad dude. And I don't see the need to hustle after Buster at this point. I don't see the end game being anything positive. Unless something new comes out, this is a guy who's just been through hell. And I, and I don't feel it's appropriate to start reporting where he is and what he's doing and who he's with, unless those are tied in some other case. Otherwise, my theory is leave the guy alone unless new information emerges. I don't think it's great journalism or podcasting or humanity to report every step that Buster takes that's not tied in some way to some sort of criminal uh, enterprise. That's that's my theory, and some may disagree, but that's how I feel. Yeah, I agree. And I agree with you 100%, um, but I did want to add one thing. I've seen a lot of people saying, you know, he's a grown man, he should be able to support himself, yada, yada, yada. Um, he, don't forget, he was working in food and bev at the time that all this happened. So he can't work because there are so many people that are congregating around his workplace just to see him or try to talk to him or take pictures of him. So he can't go out and do the kind of work he's been doing. Um, my understanding is he's going to be um, going back to, to school in the spring. So it made more sense to just lay low for a few months and then go back to being a student. Okay. so. We have someone who's asked, were there any security cameras at the house or kennels at Moselle? No. So you have confirmation that, that, that there were not cameras? Yes, there were no cameras there at that time. Oh, wow. 
So there are now, I guess. I, I don't know the answer to that. And if I did, I wouldn't say. Well, that's good to know because there have been so many questions swirling about the, the question of whether there were cameras at the house. Um, people have also really questioned us a lot about you could hear dogs barking in the 911 tapes. And we know that Maggie and Paul's bodies were found near the kennel. So do we know what happened to the dogs? Yeah, so some of the dogs were their personal dogs. Alec and Buster both had dogs that were their personal dogs, and then they had working dogs. Um, Randy, the oldest brother, um, is very involved with um, breeding and showing, and and so he has you know some very you know valuable um, good good dogs. So they did have working dogs there, and every last one of the working dogs have been rehomed with. Um, other families that have, you know, hunters and, and the kind of work that these dogs are bred for. So they're still all very active. They're all very healthy. They're all still working and uh, doing doing very well. I, I want to say, I think that there had to have been cameras on the property someplace being based at the hunting camp, but that doesn't mean they were at the place where the house is or the murder is, I would assume, right? Because it could be out in the fields. I would think they'd have them out there so they know where to find game, but that doesn't mean that the cameras that we're referring to would be at where the homestead is. Is that, is that fair to say? Right. Yeah. The, the, the hunting property, it was anytime you would see pictures of them on Facebook hosting hunts, you would see some type of vehicle, whether it was like a gator or a Jeep or a truck, but they would drive to the areas where they were going to hunt. The homestead was the house, the the huge barn with the red top where, you know, the machinery was kept. They had a very large kennel system there. And so there, there weren't any cameras around there because it's just, you know, they've never felt they needed it. Your neighbors kind of keep an eye on things. I think they had a caretaker out there at some point or another. And, and so they just never felt they needed it. As far as on the hunting property or their trail cams, deer cams, that I don't know the answer, but I would guess yes. But it wouldn't come into play with, you know, what happened here. Yeah, I just want to make sure people, because people were going to say that. I had that comment where they had to have cameras to hunting ground, but that doesn't mean they were at the place where the murders occurred. So that's why I just wanted to clear that up. See? And then the last question about Moselle is why Maggie and Paul were there the night of their murders. And that's a real simple answer. They lived there. Um, I've had a, a lot of people that have wondered, you know, were, uh, they had Monday night dinner there. They, Paul was lured there. He wasn't supposed to be there. No, they lived there. Um, school was out. She was living there full time. He was working with his uncle and then he went home after work. All right. So there is part one. We didn't know there was going to be a part one and part two. We were doing a question and answer session with Sarah and John Snyder. We didn't even get to John Snyder yet, but it went really long. So we decided to divide it up into two episodes. Uh, by the way, Sarah's thoughts are her own and her and her friends from the low country, how they have reacted and not the views necessarily of Seton and I, but we really, really appreciate her joining us. Always a popular episode. Thank you so much, Sarah. We have another episode coming up in the next couple of days, which will feature a lot of legal questions for John Snyder, our legal analyst, 
and uh, Sarah will join us on that as well. Also, we want to point out Seton doesn't want to let people know because she hates to watch herself. I've done it for years and I hate, hate listening and watching to myself, but people may be interested. We've got a little uh, show coming up. Yes, we're going to be on CrimeCon at Home Holiday Escape, which is going to be on the Oxygen Network. And that's this Friday, Black Friday, November 26th at 7.30 Eastern Time. There you go. Don't judge us. <laughs> Yikes. Uh, we also have a, a Peacock documentary that'll be coming out in the first few weeks of December. We'll keep you updated on that. We did a lot of video for those guys talking about the Murdoch case. And so many things have changed since we were first interviewed for that Peacock show. See, and I'm a little worried, right? You know, I know. It just seems like that was ages ago. I mean, I'm like... I. I don't know. I'm going to call this summer the summer of Murdoch. I did, don't feel like I really truly experienced summer because I think that's all I thought and did for the entire summer. And it's just crazy about how much has changed since this story first broke. You know, how many times do we say, well, I hope it doesn't dry up right now. We don't have any more episodes. And the next thing we know, it's bing, bang, boom. Um, so I uh, appreciate everyone who listens to the podcast. I appreciate everyone who shares the podcast. We are so grateful to first-time true crime podcasters. Never thought it would get to this point. And if you are listening to this before Thanksgiving, have a great Thanksgiving. If it's after Thanksgiving, have a great holiday. And we will talk soon. Don't forget, I have to remind you, Murdoch Podcast Facebook, MurdochPodcast.com website. Have you made the switch to NYX? Millions of women have made the switch to the revolutionary period underwear from NYX. That's K-N-I-X. Period panties from NYX are like no other, making them the number one leak-proof underwear brand in North America. They're comfy, stylish, and absorbent, perfect for period protection from your lightest to your heaviest days. They look, feel, and machine wash just like regular underwear, but feature incognito protection that has you covered. You can shop sizes from extra small to 4XL. Choose from all kinds of colors, prints, and different styles, from bikinis to boy shorts, thongs to high-rise. You've got to try NYX. See why millions are ditching disposable, wasteful period products and have switched to NYX. Go to knix.com and get 15% off with promo code TRY15. That's nyx.com promo code TRY15 for 15% off life-changing period underwear. That's knix.com. So when the scammer uses the hypnotic method of building rapport, then they create dysfunctional, delusional reality. That's how a scam begins, convincing the mark that it makes perfect sense to hand over their money to a con artist. The Scams and Cons podcast tells you how scams are run. You'll hear how people are convinced to buy fake art, buy machines that print money, or steal your house. I get a phone call from my wife and she let me know that they had decided to move all our stuff out. I can no longer do anything about it except go through an eviction. And you'll hear it from the experts, people who run the cons. So we go to your bank, you go in and get 6,000 cash, give us each 3,000, we give you this. Uh -huh. You go home and what you find out is cut up newspaper. It's fun to know how the trick is done. And that's what Scams and Cons is all about. Listen at scamsandcons.com or wherever fine podcasts are found.